Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back. 505 Games is going to make a new game in the Drawn to Life series, Drawn to Life Two Realms. It'll be out in the holiday season this year for Nintendo Switch, Windows, and mobile devices. As a person who played the original games way back in the day, that really took me by surprise. I thought the series was more or less dead. So now I want to raise awareness of the Drawn to Life series because it's a fun little niche. I don't hear it talked about very much, but it was pretty fun if you took the time to play it. There are three games in the series. They were developed by Fifth Cell, published by THQ. There's the original Drawn to Life, released for Nintendo DS in 2007, and it'd have two follow-up games, both named Drawn to Life The Next Chapter. One was... I believe it was either a sequel or a midquel. It was for Nintendo Wii... The other was a true sequel for the Nintendo DS. It had almost no connection to the Wii game. And during my time, among other Drawn to Life fans, the Wii game was mostly ignored. It may even be non-canon, but don't quote me on that one. To this day, I've never actually played it, and I can only barely describe what it's supposed to be about. Also, there was Drawn to Life, SpongeBob SquarePants edition, but... That was its own thing. It had no connection to the series at all, other than the name. The main conceit of Drawn to Life is that you, the player, get to design a wide array of props for the game, right down to the playable character. Let your imagination go wild, or just use a pre-existing template if you can't be bothered. Drawn to Life is a member of the Villagers Ask the Player to Solve All Their Problems genre, It's a bit more on the nose than that. They literally speak to the heavens to beseech a creator to, uh, create things for them. You're basically a god to this village of little fox creatures called Raposa, and the main character that you design is sort of an avatar of the creators, and it never really speaks, it just enforces your will. Now, I say main character, but you're really just a big doll that clears levels and beats bosses so that the real main characters, Mary and Joey, can have character development and growth arcs and a little bit of romance undertones, all that fun stuff. In a game that celebrates the player's capacity to put a personal touch on things, I imagine this is one of those cases where they just expect you to interpret the hero however you'd like. Mary and Joey are neat. It took me a while to realize that their names might be a reference to the biblical Mary and Joseph, which would be in line with the game's not-so-subtle emphasis on religion. It didn't really faze me when I first played the games, because I'm religious, but looking back, I can notice that there's definitely a consistent theme to a lot of the game. It's been a hot minute since I've even played them, but I remember it being subtle enough that it shouldn't have been too intrusive, outside of constantly referring to a creator. I wouldn't say the game pushes its religious motifs too heavily, though. The creator isn't celebrated that much. They're a glorified errand runner for the Raposa. The villain, Wilfra, is a character who thought he could do better than the creator and became a monster for it, but he seems pretty happy to be his monstrous self. He's not really punished more than getting beaten up at the end of either game, either. Uh, back to Mary and Joey, though. They're the main characters in the sense that the story is about their journey together, which is a good segue into story talk. 
I've talked about the series casually in a past episode, namely a big plot point in the sequel that makes this upcoming game a little hard to wrap my head around. But if you don't know what I mean, then basically this is the part where I describe the two main entries in detail and include spoilers. They're old games, but they're not widely known either, and wanting to spread awareness, who knows who wants to give the games a try for the first time, there's your warning. So in the first game, the creator has abandoned the Raposa and their village for some time now. Components of the world like the sun, crops, even time itself are all fading away. The villagers have been trickling out in search of greener pastures, and it's just down to our mains now. Joey, Mary, and Mary's father, the mayor. So, Mary... Over the course of the story, the mayor urges Mary to prepare to take his place as the leader someday, but she's just not sure that she has what it takes. Joey, the sorta kinda mascot of the series, is her best friend. He's a rowdy little cuss who dreams of adventures far beyond the scope of the village. As you might have inferred, Mary and Joey's friendship is primed to be torn apart by their diverging paths in life. Keep this in mind. The game starts with the nearly abandoned village until the creator miraculously returns. We really don't get to know the creator as a character, it's just you. You're the creator. Deal with it. Why did you abandon the Raposa for as long as you did? Who knows, have fun with your headcanon. Anyway, Wilfer shows up as a Raposa made of black smoke so that you can tell he's evil. The levels in Drawn to Life are platformer levels with a bit of a different aesthetic than the main level of the village, and even in the levels, you get to design yourself a bunch of different items and tools that can help make navigating the level easier. Well, you have to do it, but still, it's interesting to see, oh, design a moving platform, now design this item, now design this one. You're also hunting for important pages from the Book of Life, which allows you to create things, and it's what Wilfrey had desecrated during his downfall. You also find missing villagers who've been trapped by Wilfrey. The game then goes into a predictable rhythm for the rest of its time. Villagers need something, but the Book of Life is missing the appropriate page. Player goes to a level to get the pages and return some villagers to their home. Players bond with the villagers for a bit. Repeat until boss fight. Do all of this all over again for the next handful of hours until you roll credits. Your village grows as you progress the game, mainly in terms of population and real estate. There isn't a whole lot in the way of goods and services in minigames. I think you play a minigame once and there's a shop that can sell upgrades before you buy everything and leave them useless. But it's still nice to see the town liven up a bit, more new faces wandering around. Some of the villagers weren't even there in the past, you're bringing them here for the first time. You get a colorful selection of villagers too, there's the farmer, the chef, a constable, some twins, a doctor, even some weird ones like a vampire, a pirate, Raposa Indiana Jones... My favorite, and many fans' favorite, would be Crazy Barks, this Raposa who thinks he's a dog that got stranded on an island. A lot of these villagers are pretty one-note. They might get a little bit of focus once they enter the village and they're still the new character, but most of them fade into the background before long. There are two characters you find out in the wild who are actually very important, though. First is Heather, who is mysteriously half Raposa, half Shadow Thing. 
She is mute and very small. Joey takes her under his wing, and she's sort of the unofficial fourth main Raposa after Mary, Joey, and the mare, but she doesn't ever really do much. The other important character is Mike, a human boy. He's randomly mixed in with all the captured Raposa, and people think that his ears are missing because they're really small and human instead of big fox ears. He's more or less a joke character, but he and Heather play a much more substantial role in the sequel. And now we're at the point where Mike is featured on the box art for Drawn to Life 2 Realms, so... Yeah, Mike's really working his way up that ladder. The game goes on, and the village gets some pirates, like I mentioned. Eventually, Joey talks his way into setting sail on their next adventure once they leave. Meanwhile, Mary's got some friction with her dad because he's really pressing the whole inheriting the village thing. You go to one of the levels, and oops, Wilfer kills the mare. Darn. That's right, this little fluffy cartoon game features the main baddie literally killing one of your best friends on screen. It's not really violent, their sprites just kind of bump against each other or something, and the mare falls over before just flat out vanishing. Still, that's heavier than I expected from the game. In hindsight, that should have been a red flag for the kinds of things the sequel would do, but we'll get there. Anyway, you've finally rescued all the villagers, except the mayor, and the pages of the Book of Life are all back. Now you're just going to beat up Wilfrey on principle. Maybe revenge. He attacks you with a random scorpion and a few of the props that you've designed over the course of the game. Oh yeah, he actually stole the Book of Life when he killed the mayor. He wasn't just doing it for the heck of it. That, that makes more sense now that I remember it. And that's why he's using props against you. <laughs> anyway, if you're like me, you probably activated the invincibility code and just tanked everything in the whole entire game until Wilfrey finally drops dead. Then after that, the day is saved. Joey decides to leave while Mary picks up her father's mantle, and there's a really touching vocal track that I wasn't at all expecting. It's called The End. It's a duet performed by someone named Haley Chipman and the game's composer, David J. Franco. It's honestly a heavier song than the entirety of the game leading up to it. I mean, doggone. As the song plays, you're treated to Mary walking around all lonely-like, reminiscing the miracles that the creator and hero have done for her town. Once all's said and done, it's revealed that Joey decided to stay with Mary after all, and their reunion is watched by the hero and the ghost of the mayor from afar. And that's drawn to life! Very quirky, novelty game with no small amount of charm. And it's no Mother 3, but it did give my younger self a few surprise gut punches. My brother picked this game up for his 12th birthday, and I was really impressed with what I saw when I watched him play it. Eventually I borrowed his copy and marathoned the whole game in a single afternoon, more or less. Then on my next birthday I got my own copy. I could have bought The World Ends With You that birthday, but instead I ended up getting drawn to life. Though I think I ended up playing The World Ends With You at a much more appropriate time in my life anyway. I was pretty happy with Drawn to Life. I enjoyed the little world that it built alongside some other people who had enjoyed the game. I imagine the hype when it turned out there was going to be a sequel was pretty, well, 
meaningful, at least, for the people who liked it. All 12 of us, I think. I was really into the first game. It was an unexpected entry among my list of favorite games at the time, so I was all aboard for Drawn to Life the next chapter. About two years later, Christmas morning, there it was. And the whole journey with that game probably took me the about two days. <laughs> I, I really rushed through these games, but they are decently short. Drawn to Life, the next chapter, DS version, takes place an indeterminate amount of time after the original game, and your hero is no longer with everyone. But that's okay, everything is peaceful. Except Heather. She finds an evil trident that somehow allows Wilford to return and take over her body. He also gains the ability to drain colors from the village. And he kidnaps a lot of the villagers in the process, except for like a handful of them. So never mind, there's no peace. The creator lends a helping hand in the form of a giant turtle with a village on its back. So now you have a home base that can sail the seas as your nomadic Raposa search for their missing friends and a way to restore the color. You also create a new hero, though I personally modeled mine to resemble the one from the first game, so eh. The minute-to-minute gameplay is mostly the same, but there are some changes. Instead of one major village and a few stage select screens, you just have three villages with passages that lead directly to the levels. Actually, wait, no, four villages. The fourth one is just kind of a final level. It's not really a village, but it kind of counts as one, I guess. You also don't have to worry about the Book of Life in this game. You have it for most of your time, and it can create things on the fly, so the game instead finds new reasons to send you into every level. But I think the story flows a bit better that way anyway. Also, you don't even have to rescue the villagers you come across from your old hometown. You can just leave them for all you care. One feature that was discussed a lot in the build-up of this game was the fact that the hero could adopt new modes. Now, in the first game, the hero had wings for World 2, and flippers for World 3, and a giant mode for part of World 4, but these were just kind of universal changes. Here, you could transform into a blob that could fit in small spaces, and later you could become a spider that could cling to walls and shoot webs. Surprise, though, these forms don't really amount to a whole lot. You spend 95% of your playtime as the humanoid form. Though another detail that I remember is that they tried to make it so that your character would adhere to whatever weird anatomy you gave them. You draw a character who only has one leg, they're gonna hop around the whole time. That was neat, I guess. Well, the first game only gave you the one village, it was easy to get attached to it over time. The new villages in the sequel never really hit that high. The turtle is just a hub between all the other new villages, and there's no lore or further story beats for the turtle. It just shows up because it's needed. That's all you get. A deus ex machina in distilled form. We spend a respectable but ultimately shorter amount of time with each of the new villages, but they have unique aesthetics and the episodic plot lines with new characters are fun. Though I definitely say that it peaks early. 
World 1 is Water Song. It's this hoity-toity, high-class Venice knockoff. The plot involves a mare losing her singing voice in a bet, so now she's shaken about it to the point where, after getting it back, she, she attempts, attempts to, to sacrifice, sacrifice herself and, and pass, pass the, the mare title onto her son. son. It's done in the form of magical music, again performed by Chitman. Still, it's really dark. Along the way, you also meet a raposa named Sock because he wears a giant sock for a hat. Go figure. World 1 ends, and Mary mysteriously vanishes. World 2 is Lava Steam, a steampunk mining town in a volcano. The king's gone mad with power, and he has these robotic Raposa, cleverly named Robosa. And that cleverly is sarcasm. I'm not that easily impressed. The music is some of my favorite in the game, and I like the character interactions, but... It's a pretty standard rebellion story overall. It ends with the king coming to his senses. World 3, the galactic jungle, still no sign of Mary. This is the weirdest of the villages. It's a jungle in space. You only meet one notable character here, and his gimmick is pretending to be a bunch of other characters. It's about him trying to do too much on his own to keep the place running when all the other villagers are just space cavemen. And in the end, he has to learn that he should be the mayor, he shouldn't rely on the legacy of a council that left before him, stuff like that. It's kind of neat, but I just wish there were more characters. It kind of felt a bit rushed. Then we get to the end game. I don't quite remember the order of events, but Mary has stolen the Book of Life, and I think she destroyed it? Either way, we don't have it anymore. And she's been taken into Wilfred's Fold. It's also revealed that the entire world is a dream belonging to Mike. That's right, the joke character introduced at the home stretch of the first game. Suddenly he's the crux of the entire Raposa world's existence. And there's no soft way out of this. We're taking a page right out of the Link's Awakening playbook. But the Raposa come to accept their fate and leave Mike alone and confused as they all die, die on, on screen. screen. They just vanish out of existence. Wow! And then over the course of the credits and another vocal track, we learn the reason why Mike is having this dream. His whole family got into a car crash, leaving his parents dead and his sister's face all scarred, while Mike himself is comatose. Well, that's a sucker punch! The song is called Real Life, and just to hammer it home, it has this different art style for the clip show of Mike coming out of his coma. Also, his sister is actually the real version of Heather, the half-shadow girl. Surprise. This whole thing is really jarring, especially the art style, though. I don't like it. It reminds me of Napoleon Dynamite's drawings. But it does help sell the tone that this is a more real life compared to the Raposa world. Mike's able to wake up and reunite with the only family member he has left. Y yay uh. Later versions of the game would revise the ending. I guess too many people were upset with how dark it was, or maybe the devs just had cold feet. 
The whole dream apocalypse still happens, but now the credits feature a more innocent chain of events. Mike and Heather, now drawn in Scribblenaut style, are on a family camping trip, and Mike climbs a tree to get some fireflies, and then he falls and gets knocked unconscious. He comes around before long, and all is well. As far as I know, most people don't like the ending of the game, period, but they still prefer the original ending with a car crash. As jarring as it is, the game foreshadows it well enough. The revised ending is a bit more hasty, it doesn't make as much sense, and even if I do honestly prefer the Scribblenauts art style, I admit that the jarring contrast between the cartoony Raposa and the realistic humans really, again, it sets the tone really nicely. Luckily for me, my copy of the game is from the original run, so I get to gaze upon uncomfortably realistic children in the hospital with their parents having been killed, all as a reward for ending the existence of the cute fox things I've grown attached to. Yep, it sure is good to be me. I believe the trailer for the new game implies that the original version of the ending is the canon one, so I guess they made up their minds? I don't know if this is true or not, though. Oh well. To be entirely honest, though, I'm not sure what they were going for with that ending. The whole end sequence of Drawn to Life, the next chapter, it's a big talking point among people who are into the games. Of course, fans were outraged that the characters they'd spent two to three games bonding with are all dropping like flies for the sake of the joke character, who now suddenly has this grim, dark backstory. But more than that, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Almost nothing in the first game foreshadows this, if not actually nothing in the first game. Why wasn't Mike important before? Why did the entire village have this backstory that suddenly doesn't mean anything? Was Wilfrey ever really a villager before going rogue, or was he just the abstract representation of the coma? In fact, is he an abstract representation? It, was he just some magical creature trapping Mike in a mystical coma? Was this an isekai the entire time? For those who don't know, isekai is a term mostly used in anime circles to describe a premise where the main character is trapped in a new world. Well, I guess it might be time to get some answers if I can play Drawn to Life 2 Realms. What little footage I saw in the name of the game itself both suggest that they have plans to expand upon the plot revelations at least. Bold decision of them to wait 11 years, but hey, Toy Story 2 and 3 did the same thing. They even have some of the old villagers back in one of the one of the screenshots in the trailer, so yeah, let's go. You and me, Crazy Barks, we gotta get to the bottom of this. Between the two games, I believe next chapter is often given preference over the first game with its better platforming, better scenery, darker plot, and more open-ended yet streamlined gameplay. I've only really played it once, though, while I remember going back to the first game a couple times. I suppose I prefer the first game overall, but there are plenty of things I like about the second. Kind of like all that stuff I listed. Getting into today's favorite songs, it's a no-brainer that the vocal tracks are all pretty solid. The end still kind of gets me sometimes. I also have to give credit to Light of My Life, the one that the mayor of Watersong sings, 
Took me a few listens to realize it's the same melody as Water Song's background music. That's cute. Real Life is a pretty darn emotional song, and I'm impressed with how the singer stays on meter. It's, I don't know, something about it just impresses me. It's not like I'm trying to downplay their competence or anything. It just, it's like, the rhythm of the song just seems like it'd be kind of difficult, but they pull it off. Though I can't dissociate Real Life the song, from my complicated feelings over the game's ending. Of the three vocal tracks, The End is easily my favorite. Going to more traditional background music, I'm going to give a blanket shout-out to the entire soundtrack of Lava Steam from Next Chapter. Really suits the steampunk mining aesthetic. But I also like A Rocket, the oh-so-creatively-titled rocket ship theme, and City Funk, which was the final level theme of the original game. A rocket was introduced in the first game and brought back in the next chapter, almost like they knew it was a fan favorite. And another shout-out to the various boss themes in next chapter. It's the same song each time, but remixed slightly to better fit the aesthetic of each village. And again, David J. Franco is the composer. Really looking forward to seeing what they do with Two Realms. What's next for Mary, Joey, Heather, and apparently Mike? I guess I'll have to find out. I'm not really sure what to expect, but I'm told that a lot of the same people are coming back for it, so really, wonder what's going to happen. It won't be long now. Eleven years in the making. When the world needed him most, Mike fell asleep again. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I'll see you on the next one. Listen to Bidcast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.